I want to start today with a song. And I, I'm not going to sing this. It's not karaoke morning. Um, and I may lose my man card over this, but that's okay. Um, this, is from, this is from a teenage girl's point of view. Let me just say that. All right. So this may be a stretch for you to hear me doing this. <clears throat> she wears high heels. I wear sneakers. She's cheer captain and I'm in the bleachers. Anybody yet? Want to sing along? Dreaming about the day when you wake up and find that what you're looking for has been here the whole time. If you could just see that I'm the one who understands you've been here all along, so why can't you see me? You belong with me. <laughs> yes, very good. And that would be, who sings that? Taylor Swift. All right, we know Taylor Swift sings that. What's she up in arms about in this song? Well, there's this guy who should be with her, but instead he's been bewitched by this other girl. Uh, he's attracted to her. He's, he's deceived by her. He should put his faith in, in Taylor or whoever this is. Instead, he's bewitched by this other girl. Um, uh, let's say, the Sorensons are big Clemson fans. Um, uh, let's say the Sorensons showed up one morning and they had been to Columbia and they said, man, that Steve Spurrier guy is great. I think we want to move in, live right next to him and spend hour after hour with him. We would look at them and say, Steve, you've been bewitched. What's, or the Clemson fans would anyway. What's come over you? What's wrong? You've been deceived. You're putting your faith in the wrong person, in the wrong team. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, started churches in Galatia. He preached the gospel to them and he said, You're made right with God through faith in Jesus plus nothing. False teachers came in after him. And the false teachers have bewitched the Galatians. Uh, they're saying, oh, Faith in Jesus, yeah, but what you really need is faith in Jesus plus you need to do the works of the law. And so these verses that we're going to read, especially the first few verses of chapter 3, are the Apostle Paul trying to throw cold water in the face of the Galatians and saying, wake up. You've been bewitched. Wake up. Alright, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is God's word. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and so we pray that you would open it to us, and that you would increase our faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've been reading a book lately about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was one of the pastors in Germany, who was part of the, the resistance against 
uh, Hitler prior to and during World War II. And one of the things the book points out is that the Germans were very bewitched by Hitler. I mean, they didn't, this didn't start off them thinking, oh, this guy's terrible. They thought this was going to be a good leader. They thought he was going to, he was against communism. He was for public morality. And so they thought, hey, this guy's going to make everything actually better. Little did they know. Uh, they were bewitched by this leader. Uh, Paul lays into the Galatians here. He says, you guys are bewitched. And, and listen to how, and I'm so thankful to John Wright for putting me onto the message. Listen to how the message um, translates this. You crazy Galatians, did somebody put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they can complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not a total loss yet, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Are you crazy? Who's bewitched you? What's happened here? Now, now Paul means this rhetorical question. He knows who's bewitched them. They know who bewitched them. It's the Judaizers. It's the false teachers who are saying, faith in Jesus gets you started, but if you really want to know God, if you really want to be complete, if you really want right standing with Him, then it's faith in Jesus plus do the works of the law, in particular, do the works of the Old Testament ceremonial law, and then you'll be accepted by God. And Paul says, you've been bewitched if you believe that. You've been deceived. You're being led astray. Uh, what the Judaizers are doing at the end of the day is, is telling you to trust in your own good works. To give your attention to your own good works. And th that teaching... And your good works are in danger of bewitching you. You're being bewitched by your own good works. Did you ever think about being bewitched by your own good works? You know, we think of somebody being bewitched, led astray. You know, he was led astray by the beautiful woman. Uh, they were led astray by drugs. Um, he was led astray by money. There is something, you know, we think of something bad and evil, and it, and it led them astray. The Galatians aren't being led astray by something that's obviously a bad thing. They're being led astray by something that seems to be a good thing. They're being bewitched by their own good works. Now, how can that be? How, how can your good works bewitch you? How can your good works lead you astray. Uh, how can they be a bad thing? How can a good thing be a bad thing? Well, a good thing is a bad thing if it actually, instead of leading you to Jesus, leads you away from Jesus. Uh, a good thing is a bad thing if instead of putting your faith in Jesus, you put your faith in the good thing that you've done. It's a bad thing if it if this good thing keeps you from seeing who you really are. 
if it keeps you from seeing your true nature, your true self. And so you put your trust in yourself instead of in Jesus. Imagine that you went to the doctor and the doctor told you you're in horrible pain. And you go to the doctor and he checks you out and he says, look, you've got cancer, but you've got a type of cancer that there's no treatment for. And I can't help you with the cancer, but we do have this medicine that's going to take the pain away. And it's going to make you feel a lot better. And so you take the medicine and you do feel a lot better. And so you go on for about a year feeling better. You go into the doctor's office for a checkup to see if the cancer spread. And the doctor says, look, we've got this new medicine out now that actually will cure your cancer. You, you, you just got to take this. You just got to undergo this treatment. And you say, I don't feel that bad. I, actually, I, I feel pretty good. And the doctor says, no, 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 you don't understand. That medicine is just masking your symptoms. You're still sick. You're still going to die. You need to take this medicine. And you say, no, no, I feel fine. You've taken the the pain away. This is a a good thing. And so you refuse the treatment for cancer. You've been bewitched by the medicine that, that was making you feel better so that you couldn't see your need for the medicine that would actually make you well. You're bewitched by a good thing. Our good works can blind us to our need for Jesus. Well, I'm doing pretty well. Why do I need Jesus? And, and you know, sometimes what happens is maybe life isn't going that well until we say, you know what, things are just, something's just not right. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start going to church. Or if I'm already in church, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading my Bible more. Um, and 5.30, 5.30 to 6.15, that's when I'm going to read my Bible every day. And so I'm going to do that, and, and I need more discipline. So I'm going to be more disciplined. And so we, we do that for a while. And, and <clears throat> we hear a sermon about the Word of God and how it's helpful. And we're like, yeah, I'm on the right track. And we do that for a while. And life seems to get a little bit better. Things settle down. I'm more disciplined. Uh, I'm more self-controlled. It's like I've had this little booster shot. And so then I gradually quit reading the Bible, quit going to church, and kind of drift away again. I've been sort of inoculated by a shot of good works. They make me feel better for a time. But, But I've never dealt with my underlying disease. Um, I've been bewitched. I've been bewitched by my good works. Have you ever been bewitched by your good works? Would you know it if you were bewitched by your good works? See, good works keep you from seeing your need for Jesus. They can keep you from seeing your need for Jesus so that you never become a Christian in the first place. Uh, For a, a Christian, your good works can make you forget how much of a sinner you really are so that you show no compassion to other people. You exercise no humility to other people. You're bewitched by your good works. Or you can be bewitched by them in the sense that you're all caught up in doing them and you know you're not doing them. And so you're constantly depressed and fretting and anxious. I've got to get my good works in gear. And they're all that's in your focus and, and you're bewitched by them. You're bewitched by your good works. And Paul says, basically, guys, your 
you're putting your faith in your good works. And that's crazy. That's a crazy place to put your faith. Look at verse 3 again. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Was it by works of the law? Was it by the flesh? And the NIV has their... Was it by human effort? Or was it by hearing with faith? See, Paul's answer is, is faith. It's Christ crucified. Faith in Jesus Christ crucified. The scripture says you can't be made right with God through your good works. You can't be made right with God through anything that you do. The only thing you can, be, only way you can be made acceptable to God is through faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done to make you acceptable in perfectly obeying the Father, in dying on the cross, and taking the death that you deserve to die. Jesus does everything that the law requires, and through faith in Him, you get credit for that, so that you are now acceptable in God's sight. And so the gospel says. Stop. Stop trusting in your good works and believe the good news. Trust in what Jesus has done on the cross to bring you into a right relationship with God. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've probably heard that before. Uh, we've been saying the same thing for, for, from a lot of different angles. And, and so what I want us to do today is kind of stop. Um, Paul talks a lot about faith, doesn't he? I want us to unpack this thing called faith. Alright? Um, what is it? What, is, what does faith look like? What does, that, what does that mean? Well, let me just read to show you that faith is a big deal in the Bible. I want to read a few scripture passages to you. Don't, don't turn with me unless you're super fast. Um, but, but maybe jot these down. Ephesians 2.8 for by grace you have been saved through faith. Romans 3.23 The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 3.26 It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then the faith word and the believe word are kind of the same word. John 1.12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John chapter 3, verse 14 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. John 11.25 and 26 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 10.43 To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So, it's a big deal. Faith, belief uh, in Jesus Christ. What's, what's, what's faith? Well, faith has... Uh, three components, and the third one's the most important, but there's a knowledge component to faith. You have to know the gospel. You have to know about Jesus in order to have faith in him. But it's more than that, because lots of people know about Jesus. Um, it has an ascent comp- component, which is, yeah, I believe that's true, that if I trusted in Christ, then my sins would be forgiven. Yes, he did die on the cross so that people's sins would be forgiven. It has a ascent comp- component. can't say those together. But then it also has a trust. And that's probably the key thing in faith, is trust. Uh, the core of faith is trusting in the work of another. Trusting in what Jesus has done instead of trusting in your work. Uh, another way to think about it, or, or let, me, let, me, let me illustrate that first. Um, I can know that this pew is here, and I can assent that, yes, that pew will hold me up if I sit in it, but I'm not actually trusting in it until I rest there and put my weight on it. I know about it, I can assent to it, but then I trust in it. Trust in Christ. You put your weight on what He has done and not on what you have done. Uh, another way to think about faith is it's the link that connects you to Jesus. It's the link that connects you to Jesus. It's not a work. Uh, it's not a duty. It's simply looking to Jesus and receiving what he's done. Uh, one writer put it this way. He said, I get light in my eyes by using my eyes, not by thinking about my use of them. See, I think we can get all kind of turned. What's, do I have faith? Is my faith? What's faith? I get light in my eyes by using my eyes not by thinking about my use of them. Just look. Faith is looking to Jesus. Or one you've heard me use before, faith is like a windshield. You don't look at it, because if you look at it, you'll wreck the car. You look through it. You, by faith, you look to Jesus Christ and what he's done. I've got a friend who uh, worked as a campus minister with RUF on a, a campus in the deep south and he had a student who was coming to one of their bible studies he was skeptical he wasn't a christian but he had a lot of questions he's very vocal and he wanted to go to lunch so he went to lunch with him he said they ate lunch and then the student sat there and they'd gone to this mexican restaurant and he drank margaritas for about 30 minutes so he was really ready to ask some questions now and he finally looked at looked at Les, uh who's my friend who's a campus minister and he said um why is god hiding and he played along. It's like, okay, why is God hiding? And the student says, I mean, if God wants people to believe in him so badly, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Why all the cloak and dagger? Why not just come out of hiding and let everyone know that he is absolutely here? Uh, and Les said that he tells this story to his incoming freshman students who are involved with RUF. And he says, what would you say to him? 
How would you answer that question? Why is God hiding? And this is, he said, he said, this is what they almost always say. Well, if God made himself obvious, then we wouldn't have to have faith. If God made himself obvious, then we wouldn't have to have faith. And he wants us to have faith. Uh, now, the, the, there are problems with the skeptical student's assumption. Uh, he assumes that God is hiding. And what the Bible says is that God's not hiding, you're hiding. That you and I are hiding from God. We don't want to find him. We don't want to know him. We don't want him to have anything to do with our lives. But there's a problem with the way that the Christian students were answering the guy's questions too. If God made himself obvious, then we wouldn't have to have faith. Uh, and this is, this is what Wes said about that. There's that word again, faith. I am becoming more and more convinced that this is the single most misunderstood word in all of evangelical jargon. All of Christianese is the most misunderstood word. Why? Because that answer is just wrong. Think of the logic. God actually is hiding, to use my friend's wording, but he does so in order that he can draw from me some mental leap, some momentary purge of doubt that magically transforms our relationship into one of perfect kinship and peace. Think of the hopelessness involved in determining if I've actually made that leap. Are of the struggle involved in figuring out if I was sufficiently purged of enough doubt to get me over the magic line of salvation? Right? I, got, I, don't, I don't have quite enough. Do I have enough? Am I over, where's the line? If I believe a little bit more, then I get over the line and then Jesus will actually save. But I don't know if I have enough faith yet. And he says we complicate the issue by telling people that faith is, we define faith as Asking Jesus into your heart or accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, we, we do this a lot, right? This is shorthand we use, especially we do this with kids. We say, well, how do you become a Christian? Well, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, you need to ask him into your heart. You need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. What does that mean, though? See, the, the way we... Talk about conversion can actually be very confusing to people. I mean, how many people, um, you can raise your hand if you want to, but how many people ask Jesus into your heart over and over and over again trying to make sure, did I really do it well enough this time? Did he actually come in this time? Did I say it right this time? Did I pray it right this time? Did it take? The Bible saying, look, this, this is how you become a Christian. You put your faith, your trust, in what Jesus has done on the cross. You rest in that. You believe in that. You might say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm not a good person. My good works don't cut it. I know that. But I'm putting my faith, I'm trusting in you, to save me. That's faith. That's coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You're not trusting in, did I ask him in well enough? You're not trusting in your prayer. You're not trusting in your decision. You're trusting in him and what he's done. Right, God's way of peace. You guys have heard me use this quote before. 
someone struggling to believe, and, and he says to them, your puzzling yourself with this cannot shows that you are proceeding in the wrong direction. You're still laboring under the idea that this believing is a work to be done by you and not the acknowledgement of a work done by another. You would like to do something in order to get peace. And you think that if you can only do this great thing called faith, God would reward you with peace. You're trying to make faith a work, whereas in reality it's neither. It's a ceasing from work and attempting to pay for salvation. Faith is not a climbing of the mountain, but a ceasing to attempt it and allowing Christ to carry you up in his arms. It's not you climbing the mountain, it's stopping from trying to climb the mountain and allowing Jesus to carry you up in his arms. He goes on to say, You seem to think that it is your own act of faith that is to save you, where it is the object of your faith, without which your own act of faith, however well performed, is nothing. As I was saying, is, is, is quit, quit trying to do faith and look to the crucified Christ for your salvation. Quit looking at the windshield and look through the windshield to Jesus. See, this is the thing. The thing that actually saves us, the thing that actually rescues us, that supports us, is not the strength of our faith, is the object of our faith. It's the Jesus uh, who we put our faith in. Which is why Paul says... Um, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I've lifted Jesus up to you. And so he lifts Jesus up to them again. He says, trust in Jesus, not in your works. Trust in Jesus, not in your works. Uh, Jesus died for you. Jesus took your punishment. Jesus bore the wrath of God. Jesus won your salvation. Jesus did the work. Look at him. Look at him. Put your faith in him. Now, um, I, I can only touch on this a minute. But notice here a little something about faith. We're justified by faith. We're declared to be in right standing by God through faith. We receive the Spirit by faith. And we grow in the Christian life by faith. Now, listen to that NIV translation again. Are you now being perfected by human effort? See, many of us look to Jesus for our salvation, but then we look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm saved, and now i just got to work harder to get better. It's all on me now. And Paul says, that's fo- you're crazy if you think that's the way it works. Uh, Walter Marshall in this great but somewhat hard to read book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification put it like this and see if you can feel yourself in this quote many devout people kill themselves trying to put to death their sinful nature and produce a holy heart they diligently work to conquer their sinful lust and motivate themselves to godly living but this is like trying to squeeze oil out of a stone This is the key era Christians fall into in their lives. They think that even though they have been justified by a righteousness produced totally by Christ, they must be sanctified by a holiness produced totally by themselves. 
listen to the last sentence again. This is the mistake. They think that even though they have been justified by a righteousness produced totally by Christ, they think that they must be sanctified by a holiness produced totally by themselves. And what does Paul say in verse 20? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in my effort to do good. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 3, are you so foolish that you think, by, though you begin by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh. You're now being perfected by human effort. When you become a Christian, you're connected to Jesus by faith. And at that moment, you're declared righteous in God's eyes because of that. You're credited with the very righteousness of Christ. But then you grow in holiness. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus still. Because you're connected to Jesus by faith. You're connected to the one who is holy. And you must continue to look to him in faith for holiness. Your holiness is worked out in you. But it flows from him. He's the source of it. How's that happen? The Roman 7 imagery. Uh, a wife brings forth children. She brings forth fruit. How? By being united with her husband. Uh, John 15. And we talked about this in the children's class this morning. Uh, how, do, how do branches bear fruit? It's only as they're connected to the vine and the life of the vine, the sap of the vine, throws, flows through the vines into the branches and then they bear fruit. Uh, you get nourishment from bread and wine by drinking it and eating it. See, your, your holiness, your growth in grace comes because you have a vital connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, don't be bewitched by your efforts. Don't be bewitched by your good works. And you say, well, does that mean you don't have to do anything then? That doesn't make any sense to me. No, you are called by Jesus to pursue holiness in your life. How do you do that, though? You do it by looking by faith to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. But realizing that, that Jesus has given you helps to your faith. He's given tools to help, given you tools to help your faith. He's given you the Bible. He's given you prayer. He's given you fellowship with other believers. Uh, he's given you the Lord's Supper. A and we have to make use of them, but we make use of them, you have to make use of them in the right way. And, and guys, I think this is a critical distinction to understand. Some of us use the spiritual disciplines like a checklist. Quiet time. Prayed, went to church, Lord's Supper. I did what I was supposed to do. Uh, some of us use them like they're these things that I've got to do to make myself better. And so I'm just going to get enough effort in. And I'm going to do them. I'm going to set the alarm. And finally, I'm going to do these things. And we become bewitched by our own efforts. And Scripture says, God has given you these things as means by which you abide in Jesus as means by which you are connected to Jesus. 
that connects you to Jesus by faith. Uh, in the, the book I mentioned earlier, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, he's got a whole chapter called Living by the Means of Grace, which are what all these things are. Uh, and, and it says in there, these are not what you do to attain holiness. See, that, that's not the way we think about it. Is these are not what you do to attain holiness. They are what bring you into a deeper fellowship with Christ who makes you holy. That's a, that's a huge distinction. Uh, listen to what he says about reading the Bible. The word of God is necessary for the existence of your faith. Why? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith receives Christ who is revealed in the word of God. This is what he says about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a spiritual feast to nourish your... Guess. Faith. The Lord's Supper is a feast to nourish your faith. Prayer is an important way of living by... Faith. That's what it looks like to live by faith. To pray. Uh, He says, you singing to kindle your... Faith. Fasting is a great help to holiness by faith. Uh, Another means of building your faith is fellowship and communion with other Christians. See, don't neglect the means God has given you to exercise your faith. But don't be bewitched by your reading the Bible and praying and going to church and all your effort that you're putting into it. Put your faith in Jesus. Use these tools to help you put your faith in Jesus. Draw holiness not from the wells of your own effort, but draw holiness from the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. Let's pray. Father, we admit that we are often, um, well, a lot of times we're just confused about how we're supposed to grow. And and very easily we are bewitched, even by the good things that you give us. We put our confidence in them and in our doing instead of in the doing of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that everything that, that we partake in here today would not be something we check off on a list but would be a means whereby we look to your Son and put our faith in Him. We pray it in His name. Amen.